Have you heard that Baldur's Gate 3 is making other game developers panic? That's because they just rolled a 1 on a DC 10 wisdom check. Welcome to Triple Click, where we bring the games to you. Today we are diving back into the world of Baldur's Gate 3, where we're rolling our D20s and pulling out our broadsword plus ones for another adventure. I'm Jason Schreier. I'm Kirk Hamilton. And I'm Maddie Myers. Hello. Hey, hello. Hello. Hello, my friends. Here Welcome we are. Back Here we are. Another episode. Here we are. Kirk, roll the die. <laughs> oh, no, Again. Oh, we can't start they're until Kirk rolls their his 20 sided dice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Kirk is opening a huge bag of hundreds of dice right now. <laughs> Whatever. If you get, like, okay. Roll roll a DC 10 for the quality of the show. If it's below 10, this will be a terrible episode. Mm. If it's above DC 10, it'll be 10, awesome. It's a 20-sided die. Okay. 17. Hey, great. we're going to have a great show. It's going to be show. a great show. And hey, if you all out there want more uh, 17 quality shows, and you, should become, <laughs> you should become a That's without proficiencies. Member. That's true. And support our show. Yeah, that's it. I would say we each have a straight 17, man. I think, I think we, get, we get a plus one for every, like, uh, I don't know, 10,000 maximum fund members. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. We get a plus one for every vocal plugin that I have on each vocal <laughs> track. Go. So we get like there a plus go. 30. <laughs> you, you, and we get a minus one for every bing that you put in. Oh, no. <laughs> right, exactly. That makes sense. Uh, we'll see so how that turns fair. out by the end. So, uh, yeah, hey, you should support our show. Become a Maximum Fun member because we are a listener-supported show. We rely on all of you fine folks out there to make the show possible. And, hey, if you do become a member, you get f- bonus episodes as part of your membership, including the one we are about to record in a couple of weeks about The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, where the three of us really go deep on that game game without worrying about spoilers we really we all finished it we're going to talk about our whole time with it it's going to be super fun we also have this massive backlog of bonus episodes that you can listen to if you become a member yeah uh to become a member go to maximumfund.org slash join and yeah we we are very appreciative to everybody who is a member. One more thing. Today we're going to talk a little bit more about Baldur's Gate 3. I think we had said we were going to talk about StarCraft 2 this week. We're actually delaying that by another week, so we're going to talk about StarCraft 2 next <laughs> Unless week. Unless we talk instead. about Baldur's Gate 3 again. Unless we're yeah, so hooked on Baldur's The thing Gate. is, our StarCraft 2 conversation had some bugs in the third act, and we're going to oh, delay it a yeah. week. Oh, so we can iron good. those out. Right, yes, totally. Yes. That's what it uh, was. We're not going to release it a month early, despite mm-hmm. all the bugs in the third act. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so look forward to that <laughs> next week. In the meantime, Kirk, take us away. All right, so we're going to talk more about this video game, uh, because damn, it's good, and there's a lot to say about it, and there's a lot going <laughs> on with it, and... I at least have played a whole bunch more of it, and for me anyways, that's been, I don't know, I haven't felt this way about a game in a long time, where I am just, I am a friggin' gremlin gamer up there, just on my PC, (laughs) playing away up late every night, playing this thing, and um, that just feels very special to me. Has it really been a long time? Didn't you feel that way about Zelda 2? No, I really didn't. Um, Okay, so Elden, then Elden Ring. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's been, I'd say it's been Mm -hmm. since Elden Ring, where there was a game where I was like, okay, I'll put a hundred years into this. (laughs) Um, and um, and this one feels that way. Bye, Emily. Sorry, you don't exist anymore. Appa, you're not getting walked. Doesn't matter. <laughs> it's really it's really not a, even necessarily an entirely quality based thing. Like Zelda came out just when I was like 
traveling all over the world and getting married and had so much going on that I just I played it. And I was like, this game is amazing. There was a there were a few times where I really sat down before our triple play, and I, also, I still haven't finished, but I will like really I think drill into it before our beans cast, which I'm excited about. But I just haven't done this thing where I'm like, okay, I'm going to rearrange and reprioritize my life. And so as a result, it feels very special to me to be playing a game like that. And it's just, there's a lot more to say about it. So we're going to talk about it more on this episode. So for starters, let's just talk about what we've played in the last week, because I know I've played a lot more. I'm guessing the two of you, or at least I know, Jason, that you've played a lot more. So why don't you go first, Jason? And uh, just talk a little bit about your experience with the game uh, since last week. Yeah, I played a ton more. So I am uh, pretty deep into Act 3. I made a, a good, healthy amount of progress into Baldur's Gate, the city. And it's interesting. I, I like. I was feeling a little bit sour on the game, although that's since turned around. Um, and I think that a lot of people will hit the point that I hit, because I've seen a lot of people talking about it, where you get to Act 3, it's pretty overwhelming. There isn't a lot of good direction for where to go. You feel like you're seeing just like NPCs with names all over the place and they all have unique lines of dialogue so you're just like oh my god this is too much and then on top of that there are bugs and some of them are really annoying bugs so for example I got to the city and I got a quest where I was supposed to go talk to the editor of the newspaper and I went and talked to him and the editor of the newspaper like got mad at me and locked me out of the building mm, but there was no way to continue the quest. Definitely a bug and not something that you did that contributed to that? Okay. Well no no the bug, the bug is that the quest the bug is that I couldn't continue the quest because it still said talk to the editor oh, even sure. though I already had yep. mm-hmm. and then the next time I did a long rest it was the next day and the edit and the quest was over and the editor had printed this story that has now made everybody in the city hate me because he printed <laughs> these lies about my, about my party this is um, just actually they they coded the game specifically so that when your Steam account did this uh-huh. you would have to experience what it's like to have I someone so. write a story yeah. about yeah. it so anyway, that's just an example I think that so Jason's I, specific I've, bug Having read a lot about people's thoughts on this thing uh, on the internet, it seems like a lot of people are running into bugs with Act Three. A lot of people We're are just feeling like you. it's <laughs> yeah. If it, a lot of people are feeling like it's kind of um, unfinished. A lot of people aren't super happy with the way it resolves and some of the resolutions to some of the characters and the quests and stuff. And so uh, I think it can sour on people. That said, um, after after a couple of days of just being kind of like, oh man, I wish this game hadn't like like really turned uh, in its last act. I expect a bunch more time today and yesterday just kind of diving into Baldur's Gate and doing more stuff and there's still so many awesome quests and like so much awesome stuff to do in the game so it's not including some truly hilarious like demented stuff that Kirk and I were talking about uh, <laughs> a little bit off the air and yeah it's 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 still an incredible game um, that said it can be overwhelming and so one bit of advice I'll give to the many of you out there who are playing this game is if you're feeling overwhelmed when you get to Act 3, just kind of stick with it, pick a direction and go in it. Don't worry too much about like locking yourself out of stuff or like talking to every single NPC. You're probably going to wander around the city a bunch of times. Um, don't try, try not to let yourself get kind of, I don't know, bummed out and feeling malaise because of how overwhelming the whole thing or because your frame rate is taking some hits when you, when you enter the city and it's full of people. Um, just, just stick with it because uh, I think it'll, there, there's some moments that are worth worth getting to. So yeah, that's where I'm at. I'm pretty deep into it and and still just uh thinking about my second playthrough, thinking about how <laughs> how incredible this game is and uh all the accomplishments, all the all the things it accomplishes are just incredibly impressive. Uh Maddie, how about you? 
I'm not as far as you two because I've been busy with life the past week, yeah, but I know how that goes. I did manage to start a completely new playthrough with a couple of friends that I think we're going to uh, continue yeah. on a week to week basis. And that meant that I started a completely different character who is a wizard, which means now I know the beauty of magic missile. And I just want to use magic missile as every single attack for the rest of my life because it's like just shooting a massive Cyclops laser beam at people and it somehow feels way more powerful than playing as a barbarian fighter did. And that's maybe my only complaint about it is that I'm like, this level of, of killing is what I hoped to experience as a half-orc barbarian. And I'm here, I'm now experiencing it as a somewhat more petite wizard, but loving it. Really excited to talk about how the multiplayer feels because I know you two have played it as well. And the social dynamic of this game, which changes it a lot for the better and makes it significantly more fun and also easier strategy wise because you're all learning together and working together. So some of the issues that I had early on playing the game solo, I think if I'd just started off playing it with friends, especially if you've got at least one friend who's played Divinity Original Sin or the second one, then you can learn from them as you go and not feel as muddled by the combat in those early moments and also have a great time strategizing about which NPCs to talk to, decisions to make, all that good D&D tabletop player stuff that the game has to offer in a virtual form. Yeah, so let's let's talk about that. Let's talk about multiplayer. I've got thoughts on Act 2 and thoughts on the narrative structure and a lot of other stuff that we can get into maybe in a little bit. But Maddie, since you played multiplayer and yeah, Jason and I did as well, let's just stay on that for a little while since we didn't talk about that at all last week. Yeah. And it's a remarkable thing about this game that it's completely playable with up to four people yeah. in co-op multiplayer, which is totally wild given how ambitious it is as a single player game. Of course, that was also true of Divinity Original Sin 2, and they're just carrying that on with this game, but that doesn't make it any less impressive that it's possible. And yeah, so Jason and I played um, just a little bit. We started a new game, which I gather is generally a good idea with multiplayer because you can't remove multiplayer characters from your party once they've joined your game. So, you know, if someone joins your game, they're just going to be with you forever. It, it kind of separates out your multiplayer game from your single player game. Mm -hmm. um, so we started playing. It was just the two of us. Uh, it set it up so that I was controlling one NPC. I had Shadowheart in my little sub party. And then Jason was controlling the other NPC. For most of what we played, he was controlling um, Asterion. So we had two kind of sub parties that were moving through the game. I found it really cool. I think it really requires you to communicate and for sure. And sort of agree on how you're going to play. Like we were going through stuff really fast because we were like, let's just get to something weird. Let's go to the goblin camp and mm -hmm. we're just going to totally like turn on all the good guys and side with the goblins as quickly as we possibly could. And then as a result, <laughs> it really kind of felt like speed running. Like Jason, you play games, I think, faster than I do in general anyways. Mm -hmm. And playing through dialogue where somebody else is skipping through the dialogue instead of you, like, <laughs> it, you so know, you're pressing the button to advance the dialogue, it yeah. really wound up feeling kind of frantic and jarring. So I think if you sat down with someone beforehand, or if you're going to do this, you should sit down with them before with your like co-op friends beforehand and kind of talk through, okay, like, 
we're not we're going to play through everything. We're going to have to vote because there's like a voting system yes. in dialogue. We're going to vote on the lines of dialogue that our sort of face character, whoever our like charisma talkie character is, like what lines they're going to say. We're going to kind of take our time with it, or we're not. Like we're just going to go mass chaos. We're going to kill as many people as we can. Anything goes. Do whatever <laughs> Which you want. Which is a fun approach. We did yes, totally, an totally. entire yeah. crowd full of druids and tiefling children and stuff. <laughs> Yeah, that's I mean, brutal. <laughs> just it was, even it was seeing great. that in action was crazy. <laughs> you yeah, just kill was, all these unarmed civilians if you do that. Yeah, Minthara. We were just following Minthara around, mm-hmm. and she just like slaughtered everybody. It was really sad. Yeah, right. it, was, it was a real bummer. These are the characters that I've really gotten to know over the course of Act <laughs> 2, and I really like them all. I was like, oh, I'm just going to uh-huh. murder you all. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's fine. They're not real, supposedly. But they are real in my heart, so I am very upset with you two. Yeah, we played it a lot more honestly than it sounds like the two of you did, where we actually were looking at all the dialogue choices. So the way the NPC control thing works is, take Shadowheart, for example, the last person to have interacted with Shadowheart in your party will control them going forward until somebody else clicks on her to either talk to her or do something else with her. And then that person would take control of her. So you could just decide, like, I'll be in charge of Shadowheart. I'll take charge. And um, one of my friends was like, I want to romance Asterian, so nobody else touch him. But of course, I had already <laughs> accidentally initiated a conversation with him. So then we had to fight over him from that point forward. But that was how I learned that you can actually trade over control of an NPC to somebody else if they click on them after the conversation has ended and then sort of initiate some type of an interaction with them that then puts them in that player's control. So when you say control, so you were playing with three people. That's right. Three people were playing. And then there's a fourth. And there's basically one computer controlled character being handed around among the three of you. And that's how that works. That's pretty cool. That makes sense. Yeah. So I would say that's actually the ideal way. So you just pass around Asteria and each of you just has (laughs) your He would love that, I think. Yeah. I mean, you can pass around Shadowheart or Asterian as needed. Yeah. I mean, we started off with Shadowheart. And then when we met Asterian, we were like, well, we need to send Shadowheart back to camp because we got to get Asterian up in here. So we sent away Shadowheart and got a Starian in the mix. And I think playing with three people is pretty hilarious because it's just enough people to be chaotic, but also you have that additional party slot so that you can romance or interact with an NPC, which also provides additional comedy. So one of the main hilarious aspects of the game is that when you are navigating through dialogue, there is a voting system, like Kirk said, like the other players who aren't participating actively in the conversation can hover over a dialogue choice and click it to vote that they would like you to choose it. But also they can see what your mouse is hovering over. Yeah, that's and true. I both did and did not enjoy getting dragged for whatever choices I was hovering <laughs> over and then deciding not to click on. Like it was, it felt very much like playing a real tabletop game where you're like talking through your different options with your friends and they're like, don't do that. What? Kill him. No, what are you doing? And like mm-hmm. everyone was kind of arguing with each other and like people voted on a choice and I could go against it if I chose to because chaos reigns. And that was really opening up the hilarity. But the other thing that we did was just try out narrative options that none of us had seen the first time around because all three of us had at least played through act one of the game. So for example, we had heard that you can kiss the mind flayer. Have you two heard about this? Yes. You don't want to kiss that guy as it turns no. out. Because <laughs> I almost did and then Kirk was like, he's just going to kill you. So yeah. I, was like, all right, forget it. I didn't want to kiss him. 
but I failed the role where I tried to like pull away from kissing him. Mm -hmm. And if you fail that role, you don't have any inspiration yet. So you can't re-roll because it's too early in the game. And he kisses you and it's like an insta KO for you. And I think anyone nearby, because I think two of us got insta killed by the mind flayer <laughs> kiss. And then like the one person remaining had to like straggle on with an NPC and got a game over. And then we were like, okay, how do we not... How do we not kiss the Mind Flayer? But it was very fun to enter into that interaction knowing that there was dialogue that we had not seen and just trying weird shit together and being like, okay, what happens if we do this? What if we do this? That plus arguing with each other felt like the perfect D&D experience to me in a way that playing alone hadn't. And I was really happy about it. Yeah, a thing that I'm really excited about is that the PlayStation 5 version of this game is going to have split-screen co-op. Ooh, good. Which I think would be a really fun way to play through this game. It would take a thousand years, but it'd be pretty fun (laughs) to play with just one other person sitting together on the couch and having those sorts of debates about what to say. And then also sort of strategizing through combat, which is something that I found... A little bit scattered playing through combat, uh, at least when Jason and I were doing it, because, you know, it's not quite as turn-based. Like, Mm -hmm. we were both assigning our two characters. We had linked initiative a lot of the time, but not all of the time. And it was a little confusing. Like, I think it would take slowing down and really talking through all of your moves to know what to do. But even then, when I think about the way that I play through combat when I'm playing single-player... It's like, I don't save scum exactly, but I still do experiment a lot in battle and I like try different gambits and sometimes they completely fall apart and I have to reload. I don't know. I could see it. It's such a different rhythm when you're playing um, multiplayer that it does feel a little bit like you're playing a single player game. Like two people are playing a single player game at the same time. Yeah. Or three people. Or three people or four people. The other thing that almost immediately became a problem was that I was in charge of the game. So it was on me to save, which mostly just meant that the other two people would periodically yell save at me in moments when they wanted me to save. And it was kind of stressful because I was like, why do I have to be in charge of saving why can't all of us press F5 whenever we feel anxious about what's going to happen next? And then your computer responds to them telling it to save. Yeah, yeah Maddie, don't nice. worry. When you play more, you'll get in the habit of just hitting F5 constantly. Right, and no one will have to yell save at me. Although, honestly, yeah. I probably do need people to yell save at me when I'm playing by myself. Yeah, Kirk and I, I mean, Kirk, we had a very different experience with multiplayer because we just played as kind of like a fuck around experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You weren't like trying to go through the story and be like, okay, we all made new characters Uh for this and we're going to actually try to be strategic in battle and learn our new moves. What I expect is that, I mean, a lot of people, I imagine, will run into the same problem they run into with real D&D, which is getting together (laughs) with your friends, like, and consistently and and being able to do it, especially with a game this big. But, hey, I mean, if some people, if some D&D groups out there plan on playing this through over the course of a year and, like, do a session every week or something, then that sounds like an awesome experience. But I imagine it's hard to do, like, a multiplayer session and also a single-player session just because you're seeing a lot of the same stuff twice. But I don't know. It'll be curious. I'm curious to hear what other people are doing and and how many people are like really into the multiplayer. It's very interesting. As someone with small children, I will never be doing this. <laughs> That's fair. Eighteen years, but uh, but it does seem cool. I think it helps that there are legitimately so many different paths you can take in the game. So it didn't really feel like I was just re-experiencing everything again because I was also playing as a different character with higher intelligence than my half work. So she was getting totally different dialogue options and all this. So it did kind of feel like a different game. 
Um, having played through all of Gloomhaven and just now started on Frosthaven, its sequel, with my tabletop group, that group of, of guys, it's me and three other people, we could play this game. I could totally see it. I mean, a, a Gloomhaven campaign isn't totally dissimilar from playing through this. This is just more animated, and it's a video game. It's just not quite a tabletop game, but there's a lot of similarities, and it would work. I'll, I'm actually going to talk about Frosthaven a little bit later on the show, so I'll, I'll mention then a sort of combat an interesting thing about the way that turn-based combat is designed, or sort of initiative turn-based combat versus um, Baldur's Gate 3. I think Baldur's Gate 3's combat is better for single player, though, and it hasn't. there are some things they could do with it, I think, to make it work a little bit better with multiplayer, but it, uh, it's still fun, and if you, it all depends on how you approach it, I think, like you said, Jason, like we've all said. It's, it's really just in talking it through ahead of time and figuring out how you want to play it. So... Let me talk a little bit about my experience with the game so far, because I've played a whole bunch more since last week. I've played all the way through Act 2. I'm right around where Jason is in Act 3 as well. And I'm really amazed by this game. Like, I really, really just think that it's incredible. It's an incredible achievement in interactive storytelling and also in really fun, dynamic combat design. I mean, a lot of the hours I've spent playing this game are just spent in combat, and the combat is really, really good and uh, and really enjoyable. So I'm amazed at the narrative uh, pacing of this story. I think <laughs> Act 2 could have been the end of a, another, a different game in a different universe. That could have been the grand finale of a AAA, you know, big budget role-playing game and people would have been satisfied. They they really, like, it, it builds to such an epic climax by the end of Act 2. I'm not going to get into specifics, but it really, I mean, I, I think I finished Act 2 at 60 hours. So it would have been like a 60-hour massive role-playing game with a ton of characters. And yet, there's a second game on top of the first game, which is, I think, one of the sort of... Uh, overwhelming things about this game is just the sheer scope of it is kind of hard to get your head around. I was thinking about this and it's kind of like Shadowheart is kind of the main character of the first game, <laughs> like of the game that ends at the end of Act 2. And there's more, she has more to do in Act 3, but she's kind of, she feels like the protagonist of the game. And then there are a couple other characters as well who play um, really important roles in Act in Acts 1 and 2. But then other characters like Asterion and Carlock they're kind of more act, like they carry from act two into act three. And so there's this feeling like it really almost feels like two massive RPGs stacked on top of one another. It's it's funny you say that. I just want to interject real quick. I think you're saying that because Shadowheart, Asarian, and Carlock are in your party. Like there's a way to to like feel like Lazella is the main character of Act One and Act Two if you like are doing stuff with her. No, I think Lazella is another one. Well, I I wasn't saying only her. No, but I really think like it's more that characters like Carlock and Asterian. Assyrian don't have much to do in Acts 1 and 2, where Shadowheart has like a whole character arc that plays out. So does Lizelle. She has like a huge character arc that plays out. So it's more like there are some characters who have a lot to do in those first acts, and then some characters who have a lot more to do once you get to Baldur's Gate. Like Carlock's whole story sure. concerns a character in Baldur's Gate. Same with Asterion. Like his sire is in Baldur's Gate. He says that at the beginning. So that's where it kind of almost feels like those could have been characters in the Baldur's Gate second half of this game. <laughs> so my my hypothetical that I've been playing with is what if this game had come out where you play all the way through the end of Act 2 right now 
And then they release Baldur's Gate, not as like paid DLC, but just later because it is a little buggier. It's like a little bigger and more overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And just people can play all the way through to the end of Act 2, which having done it would be like a really satisfying and exciting experience. Like it feels like the end of Across the Spider-Verse or something. Like it ends and you're like, wow, that was amazing. I can't wait for the next thing. And then like. I don't know, a few months later, they're like, okay, Act 3 is now out. Everybody just gets it and you can play it. That could have been kind of cool. I don't think that's ever really happened before. I can't think of that having happened, even though you never say that on a podcast because it means that it has. Well, there's like episodic games, like Life is Strange. It's not quite the same, uh, but right, games but have done be things like different. that. But yeah. not 60 hours, like a 60-hour no. massive <laughs> RPG that's then like, surprise, here's the act, the third act that's like mm-hmm. another God knows how many hours. Yeah, long. and that's one of the reasons the third act is so overwhelming. It's because it comes after yeah. like you've 60 just hours. been through this incredible like, <laughs> yeah. epic fight at the end of act two. So and let then me, another fight when you get to, well... Yeah, there's a lot of the transition from Act 2 to Act 3 is pretty intense. There's just like it really just goes at you for a while. Like it kind of it peaks and you're like, okay, that was amazing. And I was kind of like, okay, and now I'm going to get to the city and it'll chill out and I'll kind of have that new city energy that you have in a role playing game where you're in a new city and there's, you know, there's an inn and there's. Yeah, you got to meet the new blacksmith, got to check out the new wares. It it is perfect (laughs) that you mentioned that stuff, Maddie, which I won't get into specifically, but like when (laughs) you get to the city. Mm -hmm. Oh, wait. So you get to the city and like immediately the game is like subverts that in a way that I think is pretty delightful and really um, exciting, but also definitely uh, frustrates that desire that you have to just settle in and maybe find an adventurer's guild and go kill some trolls somewhere. Like that is not happening. You are like in the thick of a narrative and political web, like both in terms of the structure of the interactive story and also the like you know, what's happening in the city. Like, it's totally not just like you're in a city and it's time to explore. It's like, oh my God, people are coming at you right and left in ways you don't even expect. You're walking around just thinking you're going to go look in a room and then suddenly you're like in a major story thing. And it's a little jarring. This is why, Maddie, you learn to hit F5 constantly. (laughs) Well, by then I'll be an expert. Yeah, there's a lot Uh of stuff that happens. And I'll say, like, I like that a lot um, just because it's so surprising and I like being surprised, even while the part of me that wanted to settle down in a new act is feeling like, oh, my God, can I please just settle down? Like, can I please just have a quest that's an easy side quest that I can go do (laughs) that doesn't surprise turn out to be like a whole big thing that ties in with the main narrative because it's kind of stressing me out. And also to mention the bugs thing, I haven't run into as many bugs. Um, I've been kind of doing everything in this game. And I think maybe that helps it, like the narrative threads. It, if you skip stuff or if you're like doing things in, in a maybe more complex order, I could see it starting to kind of fall in on itself because there's mm-hmm. holes in the narrative. And it's making more calculations of what it needs to do. I, that's, this is just a guess. I don't really know. But I have run into some bugs. And as a result... You have this feeling of there's a kind of a feeling of fragility that the game has a little as you play it, where I just am always kind of checking. Like at this point, like it used to be uh, when I started the game, there's a feeling of narrative uh, mystery where I was like, well, I don't know. Like if I go to sleep, does that mean like the Illithid is going to take me over and I'm going to turn into a mind flayer? This is kind of exciting. Yeah. Like there's all this sort of ambiguity around how things work. And I really liked it. Now that I'm this far in, I don't feel that way anymore. And instead, I look stuff up regularly because I'm like, is that a bug? Like, is this supposed to happen? Is that character supposed to be there? Like, is this supposed to happen? And that 
it's a feeling of fragility that the game just gives itself because it is a little bit fragile and the narrative is just kind of holding together, but there's a feeling like it could crumble at any moment. And it does just kind of change my relationship to it over time, where now I'm just checking stuff a little bit more and, um, and like saving a lot and just being wary of, of bugs. So that fragility is what soured me on the game. And there are mm-hmm. a bunch of different points where I had to restart because right. something stupid happened. Like maybe I have non-lethal toggled because I need to knock somebody out instead of killing them. And then somehow they die because like I hit them with a with an arrow that has like an add-on of fire damage. And so it kills them even well, though Well, that's I have just the game. That's not really a bug, but yeah. Well, that's a stupid part of the game when it's like a the point um, of yeah. the, the fight is to knock out an enemy. Like it shouldn't, you shouldn't have to walk on eggshells. But that that's part of my point, right? Is that like you're constantly? I mean, the point, part of the point you made, which is, and that that is what made me feel like, oh man, this is kind of a bummer because in a game like this, it's almost a curse of its own ambition and its own accomplishment because it's created this this whole massive world where you expect things to have consequences. You expect characters from Act One to pop back up in Act Three. You expect your decisions to matter, but like if something stupid happens, like an NPC you're trying to save like runs into an exploding barrel or something like that and then the quest just disappears you're kind of like oh man that was a bummer or worse if it's not even like a systemic problem if it's if it's like an actual bug where like something just isn't where it should be or like something just disappears that can be so frustrating because you're like man i want to trust this game but now i feel like i have to be googling things in order to make sure it's playing out right. And that is something that I think is really, it really takes away from the experience in a really unpleasant way for me. And it is, is why I was talking about how I was pretty sour on Act 3 for a while is because I ran into more than a few of those types of situations. Yeah, I just really, really want to like avoid feeling like I am being hard on the game because I know how these conversations tend to wind up focusing on these things and then the narrative starts to feel like, oh, like they don't like the game. And I just really want to stress that I think this game <laughs> is so incredible. And I actually, you, a lot of this clear. stuff, don't worry. the point that I really want to underline here is that I think a lot of this is just an almost inevitable side result of how ambitious and incredibly cool this game is like yeah a, a big thing that it's that it does with the passage of time where you think oh like I, I can't long rest because maybe some secret narrative thing is going on that can be really effective but also it's a it's a double-edged sword because I at least now regularly feel worried that something happens in the story and I'm gonna screw up and get a bad outcome because I long rested, which I think isn't really what the game wants you to think. I think you're basically fine to long rest a lot of time, but I have to keep saying think because I don't actually know that. I just had something happen in Act 3 where like a major thing happens, like one of my characters is in jeopardy, sort of out of nowhere with no warning. And I was just getting going in the city and I have this feeling of like, wait a minute, do I have to go into a showdown with one of the final bosses like to rescue one of the people from my, like, why is this happening? Like, I just got here. I feel like there's so much more for me to do. But I also think that I can just chill and like do that whenever I want and there's no actual time pressure on me. But because the game has so effectively put me in the mindset of this believable world, I'm not totally sure what to believe. Yeah, well, what you're describing is more of like the mystery of the game, like what will happen when you long rest, as opposed to, I think, the fragility that you pointed to earlier is more about bugs. Like, uh, what I don't want to happen, I'm fine with. In fact, I, I let the game, like, 
cut off a quest for me because I rested too much. I was fine with that. I was like, well, that's the way the dice roll. Like, this is an interesting part of, component of the adventure. I think that's an okay thing. I think it's more the problem for me, at least, and I think what you were alluding to earlier is like, if it long rests and then the game bugs out in a quest that you should be able to keep continuing with, like, you can't anymore. That's the thing that, that bugs yeah, me. Yeah, there's... There's a kind of a like there's there's a version of that that combines both of those things where for me it's it's less like is there an actual bug happening and more did this trigger sooner than it was supposed to like it was there something that I did wrong that caused this event to happen where ordinarily if I hadn't gone to this one area it wouldn't have triggered it or did it just like trigger at the wrong time and as a result I'm going to miss a whole bunch of the story because I'm going to rush to the end of the story yeah. because I triggered something too soon. And that's kind of that fragility, too. There's just so many moving pieces. Yeah, there are also so many bad outcomes. I think that's really what both of you are getting at, is that it is mm. actually possible to, quote-unquote, ruin your game because you didn't do something that does generally seem important when you run into it. I mean, I, I haven't gotten this far, but I've edited enough guides to know about at least a couple of these quests. And I've been grateful to have edited them because I'm like, okay, good. These are the ones I really <laughs> don't want to miss or fail mm -hmm. because if I don't rescue this character or do this thing, my game is going to completely change. Like the world's state will change. Like, it is really possible to fundamentally alter the outcome of Baldur's Gate 3. And that's what's so exciting about it. And I think it's what we all really love about it, but it's what makes it scarier the longer you play. Like, when you start <laughs> out, you're like, oh, yeah, the whole world's ahead of me. I can make any decision. I'll just kill all the tieflings. I don't care. But then as you go on, you've built more and more of this beautiful object that is your save, where you have these characters that you love, and the more you get to know them or romance them or whatever, the more you're like, well, I want this save to turn out right, and I've invested so much time in it. I don't know. I really get what you're saying, Kirk, and I think I'm going to be in the same boat when I get to Act 3 where I'm increasingly Googling stuff and being like, okay, is this a quest that I can just forget about or do I need to do this or else everyone's going to die? Like, what, what is the situation here? Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's very well said. That's very true. There is a dog in this game named Scratch who you can completely miss in Act 1 or you can accidentally just have turned hostile to you and you kill the dog at the beginning no. of the game, the dog will join your camp otherwise. See, that like, ruins your game. That's that's ruined. Your game's ruined if you do that. Exactly. So it's like <laughs> there are so many things like that. And it's actually really funny how many threads there are about Scratch because, you know, there's a whole website, doesthedogdie.com, which Emily makes me check for every movie or TV show we watch with the Naturally. dog. Um, there's basically Does Scratch Die? There's, there could be a subreddit just about Scratch. <laughs> Every Scratch asking, outcome like, detail. Right, like, am I going to screw up and get the dog killed at any moment? And so, yeah, like you said, you get more invested over time. And become a, I've, be, I've become a little more precious in general about things. And then also knowing that there are bugs that could cause a character to just vanish from my camp. And then also, given what is happening in Act 3 and the amount of, like, subterfuge and uh, misinformation that's happening in the story, it makes it uh, it makes for a really rich tapestry of sort of confusion and stress some of which is intended, some of which is not. Uh, it is a singular experience though, I'll, I'll certainly say that about it I wouldn't stress too much. I mean, I've long rested oh, a bunch yeah. of times in the city, and I haven't yeah, really Kurt, lost any Yeah, Kurt, just stop worrying. Have you tried that? Have you tried not being anxious? Oh, no, no. <laughs> I, I looked that one up, and I, th I think I'm fine. I could just like, I, well, this is the kind of thing where, 
one of the ways that I experiment in this game is by doing this kind of thing. Like I'll quick save right. and then just long rest until I run out of supplies. Just long rest like 15 times just to see if it loses that quest and then go back to my quick save and be like, okay, now I know I'm fine. I can just play the game, mm. um, which I appreciate that the game makes it that easy to experiment with it and, and see what's going to happen and then just load a save. Has it ever actually lost a quest when you've done that or is it like still fine after 15 days of sleeping? Oh, I haven't done that. I just oh. could. I, just made it like, <laughs> I might actually. That just happened to me right before we started yeah, recording. Yeah, that sounds actually very freeing mentally. So I think I'm going to do that after My understanding, just because yeah. we're, we're <laughs> fixated on this one thing, I mean, my understanding is that the game makes kind of clear to you, like, if you need some, to do something ASAP in the quest journal, like, it'll say, you should do this soon. And those are the only kinds of quests that will, like, disappear after a long rest. The, the challenge is that it's ambiguous. The, the quest log is clear, but I've talked to characters and they're like, well, we should probably get on that and i'm like wait a minute is this the game telling me that i have to hurry or is this just the flavor text from a character that happens a few times and because Mm. it's just because of the ambiguity previously like because i know about it we don't have to we don't have to fixate on it too long this is giving too many too much of an insight into my my neuroses Um, (laughs) no i love it i get it too because it's like why i always have to complete side quests for npcs once i've agreed to them Mm -hmm. because i'm like they're gonna be mad at me if i don't (laughs) Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, the combat a little bit more because I've played more of it and I want to give a couple of tips. Please to give people. tips because you're clearly um, loving it. So, yes, I really, me. really like it a lot. Um, and I'm my tips are as follows. First tip is to use speed potions. And really, the broader tip is to get into crafting potions in general. So when I got the haste spell, uh, which is like a level, I think a level three spell or a level four spell, so you unlock it kind of a little later in the game, that spell gives two actions per uh, per turn to somebody, but it requires concentration and the concentration can get broken. But for a little while, I was like just having my caster give my barbarian haste because then Carlock would just go and murder everybody because she had like five attacks in a turn or something. But a speed potion gives you the same effect, uh, but you can just give it to any character. So um, that is my that is my big combat tip for everybody. Because <laughs> if tip. you're struggling, like craft a bunch of speed potions and then use those for those harder fights. Okay. So my tip is that if you have a sorcerer or a main character, um, or Very any, any character, any sorcerer <laughs> character, well, you can respec any character to sorcerer. Sure. You get them the... Uh, tadpole ability called Black Hole, which basically like su- like sucks all these enemies into this vortex that both slows them and also puts them in one place. And then you cast a fireball on them, and then you use a meta magic to quickening spell to turn <laughs> your spells into a bonus action, and then you do another fireball on them. They'll pretty much all die immediately. That sounds very good. Yeah. It's very fun. Um, another tip that I saw was for multi-classing, which is something that I haven't really experimented with, but becomes more viable in higher levels. And that is if you like multi-class a thief character who gets two bonus actions with a lot of other characters, you can give two bonus actions to a lot of other classes that have really powerful things on bonus actions. The example of that, is, the best example of this is a barbarian thief who can throw explosive barrels with a bonus action. So you could make Carlac a multi-class thief and she could throw two explosive barrels. Um, I, I think this past week has good. been 
it's been a fun um, journey into the kind of granular analysis that was missing when we were first playing the game. Mm-hmm. And there are already these lists of you know tips, things you didn't know that you could do. You know, everybody's kind of cranking those out, and the game feels much better charted now. And as fun as it was to be playing in the mystery experiment zone, it's also fun to have tips like that out there that I wouldn't have thought of on my own, but now I know are possible. It is, and yeah. Especially with a game like this. Maddie, I think that you will find, um, if you stick with your barbarian character, that she gets more powerful around level three. Level three is really when most characters get more powerful. <laughs> Barbarians wizards are have, amazing. Wizards, mm-hmm. Yeah, that. they are. They're really good. And wizards wizards have an advantage. I mean, I don't dislike her by any stretch, but the wizard is just good right out the gate. Well, yeah, what I was going to say is wizards have an advantage in the first le- level or two because they have a big library of spells right away, mm-hmm. whereas the other a lot of the other classes don't get their best abilities until level three and beyond but uh if you stick with the barbarian i think it's pretty viable as a main character and you'll enjoy the the smashing and killing once you get strong enough to actually smash and kill yeah i'm I'm gonna continue with her i don't know how often my group is going to manage to get together i mean after all D &D rules dictate that we will actually never be able to play again (laughs) so i gotta Mm -hmm. continue with my barbarian and i do really like using the intimidation checks in dialogue as well because they're generally very funny like Mm -hmm. the dialogue in this game is just great it it feels like terry pratchett wrote it or something or or a bunch of terry pratchett fans in terms of the Mm -hmm. style of comedy there and i've really gotten on board with it and i'm enjoying it a ton so that's the other big draw but we can we can keep talking about combat yeah a, a tiefling called me a cuck uh, <laughs> i enjoyed that that's my favorite moment of the game so yeah the voice acting in this game is um really amazing it and is. i should also mention that the music is amazing borislav slavov who's yeah. the same composer from divinity original sin 2 it really sounds like it to the point where like my bard plays some of the songs from Divinity Original Sin 2, like the tavern music is one of the songs that she can call up, which is um, That's nice. which is just pretty cool. It's, it's a fun kind of connective tissue between the two series. I love the music. I don't have any reference point for it, but I just think it's great. The thing that's most impressive about the voice acting and the performance capture is that, like, especially in the city of Baldur's Gate, you just talk to some random person and, like, they have a fully, like, they, their yeah. face is, like, fully like lived in a single line and it's, like, mm-hmm. total cinematic. Like, they must have spent so much. I can't even imagine the amount of work yeah, it took to I'm- get all this working. I'm curious. I had this feeling, I remember feeling this way about Horizon Forbidden West, where mm. like every conversation, even with the smallest NPCs, seemed uh-huh. performance captured. I feel like like animation has just come a long way and they're um they've just got it's gotten maybe a little more possible to do it on this scope. Um that or yeah, they spent a million years doing it. <laughs> it's funny, you know, I feel like every great voice actor in England is just having a great time reading ridiculous fantasy, like endless ridiculous fantasy lines for this. And then there's one celebrity voice actor who I guess I won't 
call out by name because it feels like a spoiler or something. Maybe okay. they. I mean, they they made a whole thing of it before. You oh, can okay. J.K. Simmons is not very good in this game, and I just want to throw that out there. <laughs> yeah. Wow, well, is this like a Peter Dinklage situation? It is exactly kind of that. It, it is hundred percent. I have the Maddie. That is exactly what I thought when I was listening to him because it wow. sounds like Peter Dinklage just reciting dialogue that sounds like gobbledygook, which is kind of J.K. Simmons' role is to read all this dialogue that like really, really is kind of high <laughs> fantasy like oh, no. proper nouns it is, and. and he was so good in Portal too. Like he's yeah. done video game voice acting before, and he's been yeah. great. But that wasn't. This is like high fantasy gobbledygook. Right. It, it was more on brand for his. Kind it's of the character. wrong actor for this character. The, like yeah, it makes no sense that character. they put J.K. Simmons in this character's voice. Hmm. Like, yeah, maybe he should have been the newspaper editor. That he should have. <laughs> that would have <laughs> been perfect. That, that would have been funny. <laughs> he does so serve perfect. to kind of really illustrate how strong every other voice actor is. I mean, whenever Asterion just has a monologue, oh, I am just he's so, so good. blown away by how much fun that actor is having. He's so incredible. But really, yeah, everybody is so good um, with that one notable exception. And I, I will say that there, so there are three celebrities that play the three voices, the three, three, sorry, three celebrities that voice the three major villains. The other oh, two right. are actually really good. Like, it's only Who are the other two? Um, so... Gortash, who's one of the other two, three main villains, is voiced by Jason Isaacs, who is, um, who is, Whoa. uh, what's his face? Malfoy's dad. Yeah, Lucius in Malfoy. Harry Potter. Oh, yeah, sure. Lucius okay, Malfoy. I can see that. And he's yeah, great. He's doing good. And then, um, Oren, who's the third main villain, is played by Maggie Robertson, who also plays, um, the big hulking lady in Resident Evil that everyone was obsessed oh, with. Oh, the Lady Dimitrescu. Oh, lady. she is killing it. Okay. She's having a great time. Amazing. So those two, those oh, okay. two characters. Characters voice acting for them is just superb. So it's mm-hmm. really and especially just, her, like she's more of a voice actor, yeah. which makes sense. She's a pro, for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but she's Jason Isaacs is is, is great as Gortash. Yeah, he's Gortash is a great voice. Truth. So yeah, credit is is it's really only J.K. Simmons. <laughs> yeah, poor <laughs> J.K. He just he had something else to do that weekend. He guess, did. Yeah, he yeah. was busy. Oh, well, well, there's a lot more to say about this game. I'm sure in the future. I don't know. Maybe we'll do a beans cast down the road. Um, if you hate Baldur's Gate 3, sorry for the last few episodes, but if you love it as much as we do... I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry at all. <laughs> Deal with it. <laughs> no, no apologies. <laughs> Never mind. Um, no, we'll uh, we'll be talking about StarCraft next week, though. but it's been a really good time talking about this game, and I have really just loved playing it, and um, I'm sure I'll be in our Discord more chatting with people about it as I make my way to the end of Act 3. But uh, yeah, why don't we take a break, and then we'll be back for one more thing. I'm Yucky Jessica. I'm Chuck Crudsworth. And this is Terrible. A podcast where we talk about things we hate that are awful. Today we're discussing Wonderful, a podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. Hosts Rachel and Griffin McElroy, a real-life married couple. Yuck. Discuss a wide range of topics. Music, video games, poetry, snacks. But I hate all that stuff. I know you do, Yucky Jessica. It comes out every Wednesday, the worst day of the week, wherever you download your podcasts. For our next topic, we're talking Fiona the baby hippo from the Cincinnati Zoo. I hate this little hippo. 
Hey, when you listen to podcasts, it really just comes down to whether or not you like the sound of everyone's voices. My voice is one of the sounds you'll hear on the podcast Dr. Game Show, and this is the voice of co-host and fearless leader Joe Firestone. This is a podcast where we play games submitted by listeners, and we play them with callers over Zoom we've never spoken to in our lives. So that is basically the concept of the show. Pretty chill. So take it or leave it, bucko. And here's what some of the listeners have to say. It's funny, wholesome, and it never fails to make me smile. I just started listening and I'm already binging it. I haven't laughed this hard in ages. I wish I'd discovered it sooner. You can find Dr. Game Show on MaximumFun.org. And we're back for one more thing. Maddie, what is your one more thing? My one more thing is a television show called Angel heard of it oh man <laughs> <laughs> so this is a rewatch for me and a first time watch for dina i started watching it by myself and then i was like you know i think she'd really like this she kind of fell off the wagon with buffy after starting it buffy's kind of a rough hang in the beginning too a lot of monster mm-hmm. of the week takes a really long time to get going lots of filler angel is like a procedural detective mystery show which is both of our favorite category of television show and i was like She's going to love this. And predictably, she does. The show's amazing. It holds up perfectly. I have no complaints. <laughs> Cordelia Chase is the greatest character of all time. I'm dreading <laughs> her getting written off the show, which happened because Charisma Carpenter got pregnant and wrote right. a very scathing call-out post of Joss Whedon about that many years later. It's very tragic that that all happened because I love her so much on the show. She's so, so funny and wonderful. And also the show holds up pretty well, even if you don't know Buffy. Dina's having a great time. I've periodically explained some things to her, but hasn't really been necessary. Just a really cool 90s television show. And also um, it has that classic biting dialogue with tons of references, but all the references are like up to the minute 1999 and 2000s references. So it'll <laughs> be like yeah. Dionne Warwick or like Reservoir <laughs> Dogs. But like characters are saying them as That's though funny. it's all just the hottest so refs. And just that is really, really That's delightful. So also so. the best, possibly the best theme music. Yes, I sing along with it every time. Pretty good theme music. Pretty good font. <laughs> like the typeface. The best maybe puppet themed episode of any show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. That's probably safe to say. Yes. Um, maybe there's a puppet themed yeah, episode yeah. I'm not thinking a of. A lot of good practical effects too. Like mm-hmm, they, they mm-hmm. clearly couldn't afford CGI. So they just kind of put people in demon suits and stilts and other various practical effects get ups. Every demon starts looking the same by season two. It's fine. There's only so many scary faces you can make into a mm-hmm. mask and put on a guy. But yeah, highly recommended if you, especially if you're a Buffy fan who never got around to watching Angel. What's your excuse? I kind of think it's the better of the two shows in some ways. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Very, very, very fun television Man, show. Wesley's transformation from oh. his first Buffy appearance to yes. the end of Angel is pretty wild. It's great. Yeah, that's it's true. Amazing. It is fun to see some of those characters come into their own. Uh, Maddie, have you ever watched Lucifer? That yes, show? of course. That was oh, okay. that's another Maddie and Dina standby. One of our early early shows that we watched together. Okay. I love that. You're show. mentioning like supernatural, <laughs> yep. you know, monster of the week sort of yep, procedural yep, detective. Yep. It is very much. We that loved kind of it. A show. Another great nice. show. Okay, I had a feeling. I had a feeling. Uh, Jason, what's your one more thing? My one more thing is another book that I've been reading, um, and it is called Traffic by 
journalist Ben Smith. Uh, I caught the press tour for this book, but have not read the book, but I heard a lot of interviews with him. It's interesting. It's kind of a weird read because I know a lot of the characters. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So the premise of this book is that it's all about the rise of BuzzFeed and the rise of Gawker and their Mm. respective stories. So those two central characters of the book are uh, Jonah Peretti and Nick Denton. And I know Nick Denton because I worked for him for several years. And there's this cast of characters. Well, Maddie didn't. Maddie didn't. I didn't. Oh, that's true. He was gone by the time I showed up. But you you guys know him. I have had several (laughs) awkward conversations with Nick Denton in my time. (laughs) He's a fascinating, fascinating figure. He is a fascinating guy. Um, And it's also weird because Ben Smith, the author of the book who was like close with Jonah and like worked for him for many years as his like news guy running running BuzzFeed News. Um, So there's kind of like an incestuous nature to the book and there's a weirdness to it reading about like these like reading about descriptions of Nick's apartment and I'm like oh yes I've been to this apartment or like reading about these characters in the book who are people who I've uh, don't necessarily know super well or anything but have worked with or passed in the hall or like stood next to you getting coffee or or uh, pancakes using the Gawker Gawker office pancake machine. <laughs> that was the thing. Um, and yeah, it's interesting. I don't really know if people would like it unless they're real media junkies and like really into like the reading about the New York like media scene in the early two thousands or whatever. But it's interesting to read as someone who was was briefly tangent, like somewhat part of it, like yeah, in a, in a kind of peripheral way right in the we were the video game nerds but we were yeah, in the building we were, on, we were there you when it happened on the outside you guys were part of, of the it bubble. you were no, part well, of yeah. Maddie, no 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 I, i'm not saying this to sell myself short i'm saying this because like oftentimes when i read about cocker there are things that i learned oh. that i had no idea were happening like <laughs> right. right you guys right. weren't invited to where, those like, parties right we were, <laughs> or we were those kind meetings. of on the we were very much on the edge of of the the gawker scene because we were like a little bit like those nerds with their own little world and they're doing their own thing but i was like everyone was friendly and I was friends with some, some of the folks, but um, yeah, it's an interesting read. Um, I don't really know what to make of it. I'm not super far into the book, but have been both like simultaneously gripped and also like a little bit weirded out at some of the way that, that the book approaches some of the storytelling. Um, but I will say that it's fascinating to learn bits and pieces of the history that I didn't know, like all these weird crossovers between the Huffington Post, which is Jonah Pretty's first mm-hmm. kind of invention before before you went off to do BuzzFeed, and how like Andrew Breitbart was a key figure in the founding of the Huffington Post, and then Steve Bannon comes along, and there's all these that kind of weirdness to it. And wow. I'm looking forward to reading a little bit further when it gets into more of like that that kind of creation and like the BuzzFeed deciding to publish the Trump dossier and stuff like that. But I will say one thing that's weird to to about at least about the early portions is that Ben Smith, the author, writes about Jonah Peretti in this super detached way, despite the fact that they are like close friends, which I'm just like is in the back of my head as I'm reading this and I'm kind of like, this is kind of Mm. a weird experience and Jonah and Nick are like written about using their first names, which also adds a weird like sort of personal element to the whole thing but there's no first person at least not yet so it's not like a memoir like writing about this is kind of like a this is my connection to them it's just a weird approach that I'm Uh, I'm hmm. not sure how I feel about it yet but anyway I'm going to keep reading it and I'll see if I I wind up finishing it and and what what my take is on the whole thing there but for now I guess I'm just kind of like 
I don't know, <laughs> have a lot of mixed feelings about this mm-hmm. uh, this particular story and this particular book and the way it was approached. But yeah, curious to read more. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. I want to know what you think when you finish it, because mm-hmm. I've been considering reading know. it, but now I'm not sure if I will. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I exactly. got it from the library. Uh, yeah, yeah. The library. There you go. Place. If you're not sure about a book, that's the place that's to go. That's perfect. Um, all right. Well, my one more thing is a game that I mentioned earlier that I've been playing with my tabletop group called Frosthaven that um, we've been playing for a little while and I've been sort of holding off mentioning just because we're just getting into it and um, we only meet once a week. And it's a very involved game that takes a lot of time. So I wanted to play for at least a few weeks before I talked about it. But yeah, so we have been playing it. It is the sequel to Gloomhaven, a game designed by Isaac Childress, who is the now sort of famous game designer who made Gloomhaven probably the most successful tabletop game of all time. I don't know, maybe Monopoly beats it, but it's, uh, it's up there. It was number one on Board Game Geek for 700 years or something and a very, very popular game which I've talked about on the show in the past and I'm very fond of, I I think is really interesting. Um, Like Gloomhaven, Frosthaven comes in a huge box full of stuff. You get so much stuff. It's the hugest box in the whole world. Uh, My friend Sean, who is our kind of the guy who owned Gloomhaven and now owns Frosthaven, he's kind of our he's our friend who runs the game there's not really a dm in this game but if there were to be a dm he's the one running the game and we've actually been playing in tabletop simulator because there is a mod for tabletop simulator that uses the game we say for us that's fine because we own the game we would be playing it um, physically but it's just much much easier to set it up and play it in tabletop simulator so that's how i've been playing it and it's really cool um it's an even more crunchy and involved version of gloomhaven the big difference here is that there's now a town to manage in addition to dungeons to explore. So for anyone who hasn't heard me talk about it, it's basically, it's a lot of turn-based tactical combat. It actually feels a lot like Baldur's Gate 3. Uh, you have a party of four, different classes, a sort of grid-based combat. So it's not, it's not quite as um, open-ended as Baldur's Gate. But given how much time I've spent playing turn-based combat in a fantasy setting, like all the time playing Baldur's Gate 3, then on Monday night I meet up with my friends and I'm like, all right, guys, time for some fantasy turn-based combat. <laughs> Let's do this. Fun. Um, um, but it's we're playing, you know, we're each controlling a different character, and the game is designed pretty differently. And actually, it's made me think some about the multiplayer design of Baldur's Gate 3 and um, the combat. So that was the thing I wanted to mention. That's What's really cool about Gloomhaven combat is that you all you pick two cards, and you have a top action and a bottom action on each card. And then your initiative is, desi- is decided by the cards that you've picked. And then once you've played them, you can actually change your mind and play the bottom action from one card and the top from the other. But you can only do one top or bottom from each card. So what you're doing is you're essentially picking four actions, two of which are mutually exclusive. And then you think you know what you want to do. But once you've played your cards, those are the only actions you can choose from everything, all the cards in your hand. You have to wait until next round. So everyone plays their cards face down at the same time. And then, boom, everything flips and the initiative gets played for that round. So maybe the monsters are going really fast this round and they're shielding up. So you don't want to attack them, but your whole plan was that you were going to run up and attack them. So then suddenly you're like, ah, crap. You have to look at your cards and kind of improvise based on what your cards say and then make a decision from there. And then everyone in your party has to do that too. You're not supposed to plan out your moves before the initiative gets decided. So basically you wind up with this sort of 
collection of possible moves for your whole party. And then everyone starts trying to figure out how to make the best of the moves that you picked, which is actually a really good way of doing a four-player co-op turn-based strategy fight. Um, it's a super brilliant system. And anyone who's played the game, I think will understand what I just described. Hopefully that was clear enough for people who haven't. But I, I really like it. I think it's very clever and am impressed by all of the sort of new abilities, the new classes. I'm playing a class called the Blink Blade. That's the most complicated frigging class I've ever seen in um, Gloomhaven or Frosthaven. And um, just the general, like all of the ways that he's refined and sort of built new ideas into the game. He's made their little side quests that you do that are way better now, like road events. We had to solve a, a riddle. It was like, I am found in the water and also in the land. I am not oh, this, but fun. I am that. Say the word out loud and then flip the card and see if you got it right. And we were like, oh, we have to solve a riddle. So there's like a lot of cool kind of role-playing-y stuff like that that you can do as well. So I'm really digging it. Um, I'll have a lot more thoughts on it, I'm sure, once we've played more. So I'll probably check back in in like a year because this game <laughs> takes us forever or these games take us forever to play. So, um, But that's uh, it's called Frosthaven. Um, it's very famous. I'm sure everyone's heard of it. And um, I'm really enjoying it. So, uh, so yeah, really digging it. And I'm very impressed by Isaac Childress in general. Kirk, cool. in case you're curious, there are a lot of board games that have sold more than Game Game, <laughs> uh, including yeah. Monopoly, Scrabble, Clue, Battleship, Trivial hmm. Pursuit, Backgammon, Never heard of Candy any of those. Mm-hmm. Don't know Running what those cube. are. Monopoly, get this, Monopoly has the Guinness World Record for being played by the most people. 500 million people worldwide. Hmm. I don't know about sales, but it was the number one game on Board Game Geek for yes, some incredibly sure. extended period of time. Yes. It is like among sort of modern tabletop game players, one of the most successful ever. But yes, you, you can't compete with Scrabble. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it is more like, yes. Like in terms of modern, like yeah. crunchy board games, it's like tremendously successful. Yeah, it's if you leave like, out like a family all ages style classic. Yeah, board games. yeah, it's that different. Been we're talking about yeah, apples yeah. and oranges. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. we're talking about monopolies and gloom havens. Yes, like Baldur's Gate yeah. three sold well, but it did not sell better than Solitaire for Microsoft Windows. <laughs> <laughs> well, Solitaire is free. Well, yeah, that's Microsoft. free. That's like Minesweeper that comes with every copy. Mm-hmm. All right, well, we did it. We recorded another episode. <laughs> we made an episode of Triple Click. Yes. We did. We did it again. Uh, So yeah, I'll see the two of you next week. See you next week. Bye. Triple Click is produced by Jason Schreier, Maddie Myers, and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edit and mix the show and also wrote our theme music. Our show art is by Tom DJ. Some of the games and products we talked about on this episode may have been sent to us for free for review consideration. You can find a link to our ethics policy in the show notes. Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network, and if you like our show, we hope you'll consider supporting us by becoming a member at MaximumFun.org slash join. Find us on Twitter at TripleClickPod, send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org, and find a link to our Discord in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows, supported directly by you.